This is a Fubar Radio podcast. If you need any more information, head to fubarradio.com. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. I said, uh, I haven't got my headphones on, and I think I said that into the microphone because I turned the microphones up and mm. then grabbed them. You did, you willed them. I was, uh, my mic was hot. Hot as in? Live. Right, not hot as in just, it's a bit hot. Sexy. <laughs> Sexy Mike. That's what they used to call me when... Uh, Your name was Mike. When people thought my name was Mike and I was too <laughs> polite to correct them. We'd known each other for months by that point, so uh, it was too late to change it. Um, <laughs> my name is Nick Helm, and I'm joined in my studio in the, in the studio today by Nathaniel Metcalf. Hello. It's never easy. It never gets any easier. No, the, you'd welcome, think he would. Uh, it, it sounds easy, probably, if you're listening. Yeah. So what, what, uh, you've no idea how hard this is. You've no idea. Um, that's another thing that um, I used to say to people when people <laughs> thought my name was Mike. Um, so, uh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, God. This Hot Mike. Disgust. Hot Mike. Um, so, uh, welcome to Nick and... Nat's Fan, fan Club. club. Uh, just to reiterate, it's not our fan club. Uh, we have no fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we are fan, we Well, we're sort of fans of stuff, but we're, we're here to encourage people to come in and talk about what we're fans of. And we're fans, fans of each of. other. Maybe that's saying too much. We're fans of hanging out. We're, yeah. We're hanging like out. <laughs> hanging yeah. out, chatting, relaxing on call, yeah. shooting yeah. some... People, oh, yeah. I regret getting into that as well. The uh, uh, first rule of uh, fan club is uh, tell, tell your friends tell, about tell, fan club. Um, so um, you're up in Edinburgh at the moment, aren't you? Now? So how's I, that going? Well, I guess it's probably just started. Second rule is tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. How's Edinburgh going? Oh, it's going wonderfully. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah I bet yeah. you're running around all over the place trying to trying to get uh, flyers out and yeah, flyers are out. I'm doing uh, d- little bits in people shows probably yeah and running around you're looking after yourself i'm trying i'm trying to eat some fruit yeah eating plenty of fruit try have a banana to keep my energy up sure uh but i mean have you been to pie maker this year i have yeah and i've had uh uh one of their like hot dogs that's inside some mash or something (laughs) sure yeah and they do a macaroni cheese pie as well they do they do or mac and cheese as we now call it but it's macaroni cheese yeah i think sanders has slipped where we stopped saying macaroni cheese macaroni cheese mac and cheese i remember what when we were growing up uh when i was growing up i mean we didn't grow up together but we were all all growing up in a way Mm. Uh, but i remember we're still growing i used to really love uh, macaroni cheese um i was a real fan of it um, <laughs> really loved it and I remember once when I was little you know kids they, if they don't get what they want they cry and um, I was I was crying a lot because I really wanted to see the macaroni cheese <laughs> and my dad um, to appease me uh, boiled a pan of a macaroni mm-hmm. and he uh, cooked it and then mm-hmm. he grated some cheese on it and gave it to me and uh, if anything that was just pouring paraffin on the fire. <laughs> he knew that's not what I wanted. And now that I'm older and I've uh, learned the secrets of a roux sauce, uh, it's not hard, Dad. 
Yeah. You could have you could have gone that extra mile for me. Child abuse in some ways. Child abuse. Uh, that literally was mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, you be careful what you wish for, uh, Hoxton. So uh, yeah, I love the uh, yeah, I love I love a bit of mac and cheese. What are you? So uh, <laughs> what have you been a fan this week? Mac and cheese. <laughs> no, but I don't, I, there's nothing saying that you can't come in and talk about food. But we were talking about your Edinburgh show. <laughs> <laughs> How many reviews have you had? Uh, I've had uh, two. Are they all on the poster, are they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One says, smashing. What a smashing show. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one says, I liked it. Good. Uh, they've all got lots of stars on them and things. Yeah. Only only really one star on the poster, isn't it? No. You. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> 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 uh, oh dear we have fun, don't we? oh i love it i love it it's one hour a week where i literally uh don't think about anything other than enjoying myself and then directly afterwards i do worry that i've ended my career <laughs> I, I try and repeat it over in my head and just think what did i say what did i say um but yeah that's fine what if um uh, have you had any time to watch anything? Uh, t- t- I'll tell you what's happening in August. Um, this is uh, this is a pre-record. It is. I'm in Edinburgh, but we're currently in London in the past. This is a few months before, but um, uh, not a few months. It's a few weeks. You've only got like... <laughs> oh, God, I've only got a few weeks to Edinburgh. You're still writing your show, but you'll know whether um, all of that work that you're doing right now will have paid off by the time this airs. <laughs> I if you fear get, I will. If you can get your head around that, Nat... Um, it's terrifying. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think that you're probably doing very well. Um, oh, God. We just don't know, do we? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know if I'm still alive. Oh, God, I hope you are. But um, Goblin are playing, aren't they? They are. They're, they're in Edinburgh. Go- and here, though, right? They're doing... Well, I'm, I'm not going up to Edinburgh. This is... Oh, God, I really, really wish I was going up to Edinburgh. I've got a cracking idea for a show as well. I wish I'd done it. Uh, save it for next year but Goblin <laughs> are the band uh, that um, they did the soundtrack to Deep Red and Suspiria mm-hmm. and did they do Phenomenon? Uh, oh I don't know were, maybe that was they worked with Dario Argento a lot and then they also did an alternative uh, soundtrack to uh, Dawn, Dawn of, of the, the Dead, Dead. that's what they're doing Dawn of the Dead and Suspiria I in... think it's Suspiria and Dawn of the Dead actually uh, in London they're doing Suspiria on the Friday and Dawn of the Dead on the Saturday yeah, I think um, they're the same in Edinburgh, or not yeah. the same days, but yeah, but not the not 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 Dawn of the Dead and Suspiria, Suspiria and Dawn of the Dead. Oh, that way round. That way round. Okay, okay. yeah, that's uh, Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> so I love Goblin. <laughs> Me too. Their soundtracks are absolutely fantastic. I, um, I reckon I saw Deep Red for the first time when I was about seventeen, and I became obsessed with Goblin. But just off the back of that, and that was at a time when you just couldn't get anything either. Yeah. So you're just like. They were Goblin. And I thought they just had such a sort of mad name as well, like almost like a, um, a parody of what a sort of prog band would sure, be called. Right, yeah, and yeah. you almost think, are they even a real band? So like, I, I sort of remember seeing the thing come up, like music by Goblin, and like finding it quite funny. Mm. But then by the end of the film, I was like, I love that. I love that soundtrack. Yeah. And it felt like for a while you just couldn't get... So whether like... Goblin as a band, when I saw them a couple of years ago, I was like so excited to see them because well, it really did feel like you discover them. Well, me and you went to see Deep Red together, uh, didn't at the Barbican. Yeah, you, was it you? You you said. Oh yeah. Did me, you yeah. get the t- no? But did you get the tickets? 
Uh, Why did think we go? So. Yeah, probably. I think so. Uh, had we already seen Goblin by that point? I know that they played the Electric that's Ballroom. That's right. I'd seen. No, that's right. We'd seen them at the Electric Ballroom, and I'd seen them. Uh, I think the the year previously at the Scala. And the Scala show was amazing, and the uh, Electric Ballroom show was okay. And I was a little bit disappointed because I was so like, yeah. I think I might have been like, you gotta go, it's amazing, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, because quite a group of us went, didn't yeah. we? Chris Boyd. Yes, it was. Richard yeah. Sandling. Yes, it was. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of us. Yeah. And I was a little bit disappointed by the Electric Ballroom show. It's a bit like when I got everyone finally to come and see Alice Cooper with me, and uh, he did his Wake the Dead but He did his cover version of. Waking the Dead of uh, the BBC One Revolution by John Lennon wearing his John Lennon glasses and it was just like oh no <laughs> he, did, he did Foxy Lady by uh, Jimi Hendrix and it was just one of the worst things I've ever seen <laughs> and everyone looked at me as if said why did you bring us all the way to Wembley for this <laughs> it was that was a, a, a goblin show where at the end they have like uh, they have like screens up so they can show clips from movies and things and but they the weren't end- in sync were they it was like no, no, of- no, like clips of, and then at the end they did a thing where they showed some footage of themselves at like a massive concert. Yeah, but it was huge. like, but it was just like, but that's not here. So it's almost like it's almost like they're going. Usually we play really big venues in Italy. Yeah, but uh, it was also from a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like misjudged. Yeah, <laughs> and the band is Claudio Simonetti. Uh, judge, judge the room, Claudio. <laughs> <laughs> and it's usually like whoever young musicians are with him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it feels like they're interchangeable. And a lot of the band that were on stage weren't the band that were in the videos. So it made it even more. Yeah. That seems a bit inappropriate. Or I thought it was good. I really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it on a level that it I was think a, I did. it was a night out. Yeah. But when we went to see Deep Red, mm-hmm. that was life changing in a way because oh, yeah. now I'm upset. Like, uh, so I was. What, what did I watch? this week I watched Demons this week and I started watching Demons 2 which is uh, 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 Barva not Mario Barva oh Lamberto Lamberto Barva is that his son? son yeah so Lamberto Barva and it's written by uh, Dario Argento uh, and I've had them for ages on the side I just never got around to work. but I'm going through Mario Barva at the moment and I've got Lucio Fulci uh, and uh, I've pretty much watched all of Dario Argento's films mm-hmm. I love them but it was I think really um, I'd seen Suspiria uh, and I'd seen Inferno and I loved both of those. I, lo- I think Suspiria is a great film. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourite films, I think. Inferno, I think, is not as good a film, but I think beats it slightly in terms of uh, dream imagery. Mm. I think Inferno, there are sequences... It's got amazing sequences, but there's plot. There's a bit plodding. But, um, but there are sequences in Inferno when you feel like you're actually watching a dream. You know, it's yes, the, the yeah, bit yeah. when she goes underwater at the beginning. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a weird sequence, and it just has like dream logic to it, and it, it and it's the closest I've ever seen something feeling like you're in a nightmare. Um, I loved it. I, lo- I love it so much. Uh, and then you took me to see uh, Deep Red, and uh, God, that I think that that has got to be one of my all time favorite. I think it's the best cinematic experience I've ever yeah. had. I had it when I like I saw it when I was about seventeen at the 
BFI South Bank. And <laughs> and it was like I came out of it going, well, that's one of my favourite films. Like instantly, you go, yeah. that's one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. And it also felt at the time that didn't seem to be the Argento film people loved either. No, so I was like, that's my favourite, that's the best one I've seen. But, and, but when you look at his whole thing, he did some sort of like low budget jallos. Uh, in, in, in the late 60s early 70s but like Deep Red was quite early on it was like 72 yeah, yeah. 73 and um, and then and Suspiria gets all the glory but then by the time he's made Phenomenon he's not really making mm. great films and his 90s stuff is terrible Dracula his remake of Dracula a couple of, I think we might have talked about this even I spoke to you about it I don't think we've done it on fan club we have. Oh, we have. we have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have. We have. Yeah. We are going to repeat ourselves <laughs> at, at some point. But the Dracula remake is amazing. But, um, the, but the Suspiria is, um, uh, gets all the glory. But Deep Red is... Abs- I mean, I'm, the fact that I keep mentioning it, I suppose, is testament to how <laughs> amazing it is. It's such a good film. But when we watched it, we watched it with Goblin playing... Um, the live soundtrack. The live soundtrack underneath it. And I hadn't seen it before. And I was worried that Goblin would... Um, ruin it yeah. <laughs> not ruin it but like I was just thinking so what I don't know the film is there going to be any dialogue that's why I wondered are you just going to drop out all the dialogue so you're not just going to watch a, yeah. the film we're we just going to watch uh, the film with no uh, sound to it and then they're just going to play music over it mm. which is what I thought it would be uh, and it wasn't and the music in Deep Red is pounding it's mm. just sort of like it's so sort of urgent and um, and alive, and when you see him with the actual band, it's great. Uh, I'm really, uh, I'm really, 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 really looking forward to seeing uh, Suspiria with the uh, line with, with Goblin, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the alternate. Alter- I, I don't really listen. I don't. I suppose Dawn of the Dead has got quite a famous. Mm. soundtrack hasn't it yeah I'm I'm less I'm less I think I, I'd like to see it with them doing it but I, I don't have the I mean I like Dawn of the Dead but I don't think I, it's it's one of my favourite films or anything I enjoy it I prefer Day of the Dead mm. I really I like I think Bob uh, the zombie yes, Day yeah, of the yeah. Dead makes that film yeah I, uh, it's also got kind of like the most creative deaths it's got the stuff that you know uh, when uh, Dylan Moran gets uh, Dylan Moran gets uh, pulled apart at the end. Of oh yeah, yeah, jo- yeah. Uh, Shaun of the Dead. That's you know that's all stuff from Day of the Dead. Um, I really like uh, the ending and uh, the setting in the military base, and it's uh, obviously uh, Dawn of the Dead is a classic. But I, in terms of entertainment value, I like the remake. I like the remake a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you get. I think that the uh, the sat the satirical elements of the original are really sort of heavy-handed. And I think the fact that they're going on in the background of the remake is kind of like, that's great. Mm. It's not like overtly political. And by doing that, I think that it works exactly in the way Mm. it's intended. And also you have the bit when they're shooting celebrity lookalikes. Exactly. That's a bit I think about when I think about it. It's just really... It's a really really funny idea. It's a really funny idea, but it's a fun film. It's got a great ending. It's got an amazing soundtrack. That opening sequence... I was going to say, yeah, when it has the camera pans up and everything. Camera pans up, she's driving and you see like the apocalypse. It's just... Mm. Yeah, it's just... There's so many good bits to it. And I think that... it's one of the. I went to see a. I was at a horror film um, festival, 
uh, and the, uh, Dead by Dawn in Edinburgh, and uh, they they made a big speech about how remakes are awful and how you should never remake. And it's just kind of like I don't have a problem with remakes if they're done well. Mm. The, the remake of Dawn of the Dead is always the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Mm. It's not Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, you know. Um, I, th- I, don't, I think that they still exist next to each other. I think the Suspiria remake is interesting. Yeah, and I think it looks good and interesting, and it looks different. Yeah, but I think it's it's got the it's got the feel of it. And it feels like it's got the similar kind of tone to it that I quite like. Sure, right, yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, it's such a creepy, a creepy idea, and the original is kind of like a really creepy film. I mean, if you've not seen it, you should definitely see it. But I mean. Oh God, it's it's re- it's, it's great. <laughs> I just think that, like visually, uh, Dario Argento made some really just brilliant, visually striking movies. When you go back and you watch Mario Bava, though, I mean, that Blood and Black Lace film. I mean, that's gorgeous. And Kill Baby Kill. I think yeah. we talked about this last week, but yeah. um, or, or the other week, but yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh look, we've done. Well, it's time for a song. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is rocketing by. Uh, thank you very much. I don't know who I'm thanking. Nick and Nat's fan club on Fubar Radio. And we're back, uh, joined in the studio now by. Uh, uh, with, uh, we're joined in the studio now by or with. By. Joined by. by. That does sound weird now saying it out loud. Joined by. Joined, joined with Marit Larwood. <laughs> Marit Larwood. Hello, it's nice to be joined by you. <laughs> <laughs> joined. Join the club. Uh, welcome to fan club. It's, oh, it's lovely to be here. There was something that I was going to say about the thing that we were talking about before. Dario Argento. Yeah, I've put my notes over there. I'm just going to go and get it. But, what were you um, talking about, Dario Argento? We were talking about Dario Argento. Oh, because oh, yeah. you can't hear in the other room, can you? We were talking about Dario Argento. Remakes and stuff. We were talking... We, we've just been filming together, haven't we, Marek? Yeah, we've made a programme. And... Um, <laughs> I say just. It was months ago now, wasn't it? Well, it's, I like to say just because it means that... I've worked recently, yeah. I say just, as <laughs> opposed to I haven't worked for two months. That's so can I we just say just? I started the year v- very well. I did a film, a short film and a series, and then uh, I've been doing a lot of writing since then, which is basically waiting for work. Yeah, and, th- and now it's July, you know, can you swear on this? Yeah. yeah. You've just fucked, aren't you, until September? Well, this is August now. It, it's August now? Because this is a pre-record. Oh, it's August, and now you're just fucked until October. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great bit in uh, there's a South Bank show, with uh, which is all about Richard Attenborough, and there's a bit where and it's when Richard Attenborough's making Chaplin, and he's having a chat with Roger Moore, and uh, there's just a nice bit with these two quite old people having a chat to each other, and uh, um, Richard Attenborough goes, "Oh well, now Rog, of course, I'm at the age where, I mean, I just can't direct all day." I, I always have to have a nap in the afternoon, otherwise I'm fucked for the rest of the day. And Roger Moore just went, well, lucky you. <laughs> and I went, perfect, perfect Roger Moore response. And it's like, it's, like, it's just, uh, it, it couldn't have been scripted better. That's exactly what you'd want Roger Moore to say to you. Did you hear that lucky you. Roger Moore story that someone told, I can't remember, it was on Facebook. I can't remember, Mark Haynes, I think it was. And he, when Roger Moore died, there's other people telling their stories. Did you read this one that he, he um, saw Roger Moore at the um, airport and he, he um, wanted to go and speak to him 
and he went up to him and uh, he obviously said are you James Bond and um, uh, Roger Moore said yeah he's James Bond but he pretends to be Roger Moore uh, so like the spies don't get him and then um, 20 years later Mark Haynes bumped into him again just on some filming job and he explained the story about when he went to him at the airport and said to him oh you you James Bond and how he said this thing and um, he said it in front of the crew and everyone laughed and then later on Roger Moore went up to him and said um, yeah about the story of course I'm James Bond and of course I remember you from 20 years ago I'm still keeping up pretense that I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm James Bond it's great a really lovely, lovely story that's but really I nice. didn't tell it very well so there we go just look up on Facebook well it wasn't it wasn't great radio but, uh, but <laughs> I, I think that, um, it's nice to leave people with a bit of homework after you the want show. to do the research yourself just I mean basically you can just Google, <laughs> you can Google everything if you just do Google everything I say someone's written it better on the internet uh, you've made a film called Two Hours haven't you I made a film I filmed three years ago. I can barely remember any of it. It's a pre-record, so maybe you recorded it, maybe you filmed it. Years 18 years ago, <laughs> I made this and film. also people can listen to this whenever they want. So Of course. Of course. 25 years ago, <laughs> um, I made this seminal film. <laughs> I like the fact that the film's called Two Hours, uh, but it's uh, 83 minutes 83 long. Minutes. Yeah, that's what's good about it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Subliminally, you think it's longer. Um, um, yeah, uh, it's got Keith, naughty old uh, Uncle Keith Allen in it. He filmed all this stuff after we filmed it, about a year later, I think. Keith oh, Allen. really? So oh, he's never... separate, isn't he? He's yeah. like he's not in there. They ha- they hadn't cast it the person yet, so they just basically had an actor reading in the lines who was desperate to play the Keith Allen part, but not famous enough. So, did Keith you know it was going to be Keith Allen at the time? No, it was going to be a whole. They're saying a whole host of people. I mean, it's. A film aimed at people who are nine years old. It is. It's a children's film. It reminded me of like the Children's Film Foundation films, like the the kind of Tommy Super Tiger T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. With with Keith Chegwin. Yeah, it reminded me of like one of those. They were great. Yeah, this was yeah. It's quite a weird job, um, which Sean Walsh got me involved in. It was really good fun, and uh, I think it's a fun film. I don't think it's maybe something that adults would watch. Something you watch with your... If your kids are annoying you over some holidays, you can put that on, but sure. bear there in mind it doesn't last for two hours. There is, there is some stuff for... Uh, you've got, if you put it on, you've got to come back and collect them within an hour and a half. There's going to be a lot of children. I mean, if you're a kidnapper yeah. and, the, and this ever gets shown, you can get there one hour 23 minutes in yeah and their parents <laughs> and won't be, be there for another kids wandering around yeah it's, it's a perfect prime. opportunity in many ways it was made with kidnappers in mind <laughs> <laughs> to uh, give them 37 minutes to commit <laughs> it's their wor- crime it's worth watching it just for the moment when uh, you see a kid on top of a building and you say uh, he's tossing himself um, off the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the line was he's about to jump off and I was trying to make sure and laugh so I said Oh, he looks like he's going to toss himself off. <laughs> and they kept it in, and they kept another things, which when we were running down the stairs, and I said to Sean, I'm just going to do the Starskin Hutch sort of. That stayed in. <laughs> I don't think the sound guy was paying attention to anything. He... <laughs> and the people making it, were they on board? Were they also going, this, will, this is a funny thing for the, for the mums and dads? It was, uh, as a job, it was the most enjoyable jobs I've ever done, because it was no real pressure i think with a low budget film where they're allowing you to do what you want there wasn't really uh, any sense that you could mess anything up i don't know if that's translated on screen i mean they, they say <laughs> that the things you really enjoy turn out really badly 
<laughs> but you know, to see what your nine-year-old um, son or daughter thinks of it, I think it's good fun. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> that's all right. Um, so, uh, yeah, but we were, that's what we were talking about. We were talking about remakes just before. When we were, when we were filming together, we were talking about uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, weren't we? One of the greatest films. It was a perfect film. I think it's a perfect yeah. film, it is. Yeah. Good. Right, we've got that. <laughs> that's what, I, mean, I don't want to discuss it anymore. Because we were talking uh, the, other, the other week about what a perfect film is. Uh, and I, it's not, I don't think you can sit down and make a list of all the perfect films, but when they occur to you, I was like saying that Groundhog Day, I think, is like a perfect film, and Back to the Future is sort of a perfect film. And then I think that, you know, they're films that um, you can watch over and over again, and there might be plot holes in them as well. It doesn't need to be like watertight. Yeah, I don't know because I. Uh, it's funny what the definition of a perfect film is. I think they're like a perfect film for me is almost something where if you assume that all films are five stars and things just you knock bits off of it. If if something you go, I don't like that. Don't mm. like that. What a nice way of thinking. Whereas, about it. whereas I like think the thing, of all films is shit. <laughs> and as soon as I sit down, they've got to really make it. They've, they've got to impress. They've yeah. got to be better than the trailers. But if you if they start at five and you're just going, if if something bad happens, they're getting worse and worse and worse. That's a real optimist to think things start at five. <laughs> I think my perfect film definition is when you watch it. It's normally they're all sort of old films like Jaws and things you've watched when you're younger. Yeah. And when you go back and watch it, you think, oh, that was just nostalgia making that great. But when you watch things like The Thing, yeah. And I think that stands up, and you're really pleased. Yeah, I think right. not, it's not shit, and it's not your brain. Do you think Jaws is? I was just about to say. I thought. I think Jaws does stand. I up. think. I think Jaws is brilliant as well. Oh, okay. So it's just a bad example. Yeah, it's a bad example. I think uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters. I watched recently, oh, yeah. and I found Bill Murray really sleazy in it. He is, but to, but to the point where you know, people uh, Me Too campaigners wouldn't like it. Sure. <laughs> but he was uncomfortably um, uncomfortably sleazy about uh, um, Sigourney Weaver and I didn't remember that at all I thought he was a sort of a kooky sort of uh, quite uh, uh, what's the word sort of a snidey uh, depressed character but he was actually a real sleaze yeah I think that that has aged very badly maybe within the last uh, five minutes do you know what I mean well, it's like it's a film that it, it, no, I watched it about a year or two ago and I was a, I was a bit disappointed in, and, I, and that was one I hadn't seen it for ages but I, I thought I was going to love it I, I really mm. sat down to watch it like yep yeah, Ghostbusters and then there's like loads of bits in it where you go I mean why is that happening the, the sort of ghost blowjob thing with Dan Aykroyd's weird and you go I mean this is like a PG mm. but it's quite plainly that's what's happening it's, it's just in, well, in the middle Aykroyd, of a montage Dan Aykroyd wrote a sequence where he gets a blowjob from a ghost yeah and then they've gone well we filmed it <laughs> and it's actually in, in, involves quite a lot of special effects so we'll have to use it in a montage that's how we'll, we'll use the footage yeah. it's funny isn't it that that's made in an era where they're making like a PG film well that's the thing but that's they're going yeah but I don't think they were thinking or no, they make weren't. a kids they don't, film they don't think like I that. think that I think back then it, what it feels like to me was they just made films yeah exactly and then they'd get categorised yeah exactly that's what you it's know? like Jaws was just like they didn't go we're going to make a kids film whereas every film that came out comes out now is probably filtered through that thing in it they know what they're going for they know it's going to be PG well, if it's PG if it's a PG hmm, like an 80s PG is at least a 12A oh yeah 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 but that's why that two hours film was only one hour and 23 minutes because there was a 37 blowjob <laughs> sequence with a ghost <laughs> well, several different ghosts 
and they thought that's got to go <laughs> that's the version go. we watched I think we got an earlier cut that's really good at the start just 37 minutes straight. I only watched 37 minutes I thought that's yeah. a bit weird <laughs> um, yeah I, yeah I, I just because it was Temple of Doom wasn't it Temple of Doom uh, came yeah, out the and States, then there was like, yeah. oh it's so dark that we're going to have to in, invent a new category over here was, they had Batman weren't they as well that made that was a 12 that was the first 12 in England yeah and over there I don't, I don't know if Indiana Jones Temple of Doom I think it is that yeah I think it was Gremlins that was PG-13 oh, maybe, maybe but but um, uh, Temple of Doom just got in and then they said do you know what we're going to have to invent a new category yeah which was PG-13 over there 15 over here an age for every single film yeah I think they do in Europe what, all the way from like 1 yeah, to yeah, one okay, to 18 yeah. what's the maximum is there a 25 or something yeah they should have films that you can't see till you're much, much older that would be much better yeah. to look forward to that on 25th oh, birthday oh yeah 18 you're still yeah. young I mean you, you wouldn't think that when you're 18 but when you're older you just mm. think I was a baby when I was 18 and I've seen some awful stuff imagine watching what Serbian film yeah I mean that's that's life changing and not in a good yeah. way. <laughs> Do you remember when there was clubs when it was over twenty fives only? And I oh, just yeah. imagine like just pensioners and really old people <laughs> just talk, playing chess and just talking about politics nonstop. <laughs> over twenty five clubs. Now I can go to all of them. I don't remember over twenty five clubs. Yeah, it yeah. was on the Isle of Wight. So they wouldn't want place. kids in, yeah. so they'd just say, "Oh, it's over twenty fives." I don't remember that. But they're awful. Maybe I was never stopped. Just mums and dads on a night out, really depressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your uh, what's your favourite film? I think it's quite hard. I like the thing, and I like. Um, Would you say the thing was your favourite film? That and American Wealth in London, oh, and yeah. I think I might have a cartoon in there, the Wardship Down, I put in there for love it for um, nostalgia reasons. American Wealth in London and The Thing they are uh, uh, oh, God. do you know what I'm having such deja vu in this episode I thought that I'd heard that Roger Moore story before I mean I've you, told you it you've probably. told me that before but you haven't told me that on air no this is why we should never talk to each other ever unless we're on, on air, air yeah because I'm having deja vu because I think that I've said this forefront thing before but I had American Werewolf in London and The Thing on they were like forefront Video VHS, they used to be uh, five ninety nine. Oh right, yes, yeah, I know what you mean. You used to get them from Woolworths. Oh my god, how fucking old are we? Just fucking relics. People listen to this thinking Just now it should be an over twenty five podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, over thirty fives. Fucking a relic. And we didn't have DVDs in them days. I remember when you could watch a DVD with your front door open. Well, do you know what? I watched. <laughs> I watched fucking. Uh, oh god, I may have even said this. I went to watch Robocop, and they were like going, "Oh, this is uh, this is like wow. got um." This has got... Uh, oh, can you speak into the mic, Merrick? Speak into the mic. They were, like, going... Uh, oh, yeah, they were. They went to see Robocop, ironically, and they were laughing at all the special effects. Oh, yeah. And they were, like, saying, oh, yeah, and he was explaining to his mates, this is proper AECGI. Yeah. And then you're, like, going... It isn't it's CGI. It's not CGI. <laughs> it's not CGI. It's like, oh, man, check out the CGI on that 1933 King Kong. Oh, it's proper shit CGI. Oh, check out the shit CGI and Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> check out the shit CGI and Gone with the Wind. Check out that C- shit CGI in modern times, <laughs> starring chappers. <laughs> it's like uh, one of the things about your film that I, I liked was like halfway through he goes, uh, 
the kid goes, uh, yeah, I want to be like Steve McQueen on a motorbike. And I thought, I suddenly went on, on like a thing, just like, going, hmm, I wonder if any kids now actually know who Steve McQueen is. I mean, I don't think anyone my age would even want to be Steve <laughs> McQueen. I think the script writer was probably about, is about 50. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like, but like wanting to be Steve McQueen, I thought you could make a really kind of like quite like um, like an ironic film <laughs> where all of like the teenagers are sort of like very respectful for the past. Yeah. Well, I don't see why. I, don't, I think it maybe he's talking about the director of Twelve Years a Slave. He saw him on a motorbike once. I want to be. I'd love to be Steve McQueen, the director of Twelve Years a Slave, on a motorbike. I think that nostalgia is um, uh, is overrated, but I also think that when things are good, <laughs> if it is, we should go home. <laughs> this is all we do. No, it's not all nostalgia. I think it's like saying that some things are still good, isn't it? I mean, it's like oh, yeah, yeah. you say we're, we're talking about Dario Argento, and it's kind of like he made some actually excellent films that, yeah. that still hold up. I think it's, it's about looking at stuff that still holds up. Yes, yeah. You know, I don't think it's nostalgic to think that um, Luke Skywalker should be treated better in a sequel to a film that he made. We, we, do you know what I mean? It's not nostalgic to just say treat treat those characters in a certain way yeah um i'm not going to talk about it though i promise but <laughs> fucking hell what was they thinking but um but i don't think it's nostalgic to say that there's something of value in uh, the original king kong right oh yeah or there's something in va- of value uh, to watching uh, steve mcqueen in the great escape there's something that's uh, the great escape let's not forget was made what 30 years before i was born mm. right so it's kind of like it's a thing that um you know, it's it, I if if I as a child can watch films that were made before I was alive and enjoy them, then I think that that's the thing that we have sort of like lost in a way, isn't it? That everything has to be immediate. Yeah, I don't know that kids don't. I think I was my friend of mine said he um he's got two young kids and he played them a load of Chaplin films and they absolutely loved it and they thought it was hysterical mm. and were addicted to watching it. Because they just weren't told that this is not a new yeah. thing. It didn't have a noise, you know. It was just something for them. They, they didn't have anything to judge it against because they weren't sort of uh, brainwashed by modern TV. When so. I yeah, when I was growing up and I watched the Carry On films, I thought that they were new. So it was all the more heartbreaking to find out everyone in them was dead. They were all dead. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it's just it was it was yeah. I, yeah, it, the Carry On films were like that, I suppose, for, for me. But also, like, watching Laurel and... It's so weird, like, what huge icons that that um, time period of cinema were. When you grew up and you knew who Groucho Marx was. Mm. You knew, like, I just remember... Um, going around my parents' friends' houses and they'd have pictures of Charlie Chaplin on the wall and Groucho Marx and uh, Laurel and Hardy and... Um, and yeah, I'm not like saying that kids don't understand it, but when you were living in an age where basically they've just remade Die Hard and uh, and everyone's fine with that, even though they're still making Die Hard sequels, <laughs> it's just kind of like a thing where it is all spontaneous, you know? It is kind of like... Um, well, I guess that's the thing. If everything's available, do people watch stuff by choice? Whereas I guess when I was a kid, you'd have Laurel and Hardy on Christmas mornings and things, or... In the holidays, you'd have Laurel and Hardy on at seven o'clock in the morning. You'd watch or something. It's like new, but you need new content for the sake of new content. Yeah, 
Well, just for the sake of all the companies to exist and people and me to make money out of it. I mean, what I miss is the fact that with four channels and there seem to be long release periods that there were things you could all chat about at the same time at mm. school. I don't know if kids have that. Yeah. I mean, now it's sport, isn't it? Like the World Cup's quite interesting because everyone's watching sport at the same time. So Twitter goes mad. There's one thing that's happening then. Whereas now film releases aren't really yeah. the same as big I think as they it were. It happens to a point with stuff like Netflix, though, right? With like Stranger Things yeah. or something. Then everyone seems to be talking about it at the same time, even though they could watch it whenever. It does feel that there is that rush. I guess that's that thing with spoilers as well, isn't it? That everyone wants to talk about whatever TV show. They all have to watch it immediately in case it's spoilt for them by someone talking about it on Twitter or something. What you want to do is send your children to a cult where they only have... Like Brigsby Bear. Have you seen Brigsby Bear? Oh, that's fucking amazing. All children should be brought up like that. Just <laughs> in a weird sort of tiny little sort of uh, commune type box with selected programmes that parents have chosen for them. What do you mean? All children... All children should be brought up imprisoned. I thought they were. Yeah. What? Oh, no. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, Brigsby Bear, that is a film. That is a film that I had very low expect. I can't... I think what it transpires that David Trent re- recommended it to me and I bought it on Amazon, but it had been in my flat for about eight months and I'd forgotten why I'd bought it. And it was there, and every time it came to me sitting down and watching a film, it was never that. I was never mm. in the mood to watch Brigby Bear. And then I watched it, and fucking hell, it was just, it's incredible. I think, I, I, I just loved it. It was exactly, it felt like it was a film that was made for me at that time. Is in it my, because in my day? it had the sort of innocence and hope that so many 80s films have? I was trying to work out why I like 80s films and why... But it wasn't I, 80s. I know, but that, it had the innocent hope of the 80s films because it felt like he was a... That's something that I felt really... Uh, like you talk about the Friday film specials. I love the fact they were just qu- quite uh, two-dimensional mm. films and quite simple. Yeah. With really sort of simple plots, but you could enjoy them. Like, yeah, yeah. Whereas now, everyone is just trying to be cool and look good I, I don't know if it's just me being old I'm probably just like an old I am an old man I am a grumpy old man <laughs> but I do think that that sort of innocence and hope this is doesn't the, seem to be a, a big part of films it's all about being cool now isn't it well yeah the thing about Brigsby Bear is that you think that it's going to be sort of like an ironic kind of uh, it's, it's sort of in style a little bit like Napoleon Dynamite but you think it's going to be sort of like ironic and it's sort of taking the piss out of its subject matter but they actually deal with it really earnestly and it's, it's quite a sincere film and I think that's what I really liked about it. It was quirky, but it wasn't uh, It wasn't sort of like a bunch of hipsters that had made a film to take the piss out of it. It was kind of like they'd, they'd made something that was actually really genuine. And it made me... It was about nostalgia. I think nostalgia is really loving something despite all the evidence telling you that it's shit. Mm. Loving something from your past despite all the evidence telling you it's shit. And I think that like what you say when you watch a film later on and it stands up that's not nostalgic that's like that's a genuinely good film um, it is weird though I do sort of like have to tell myself you know who's your favourite who's the actor that you love the most that would get you get you going to the cinema I try and see films all the time but when I was growing up going to the video shop it was always Steve Martin Arnold Schwarzenegger later on I got into Sylvester Stallone um, but do you know what I mean it's kind of like I don't feel like I have that one uh, 
film star that I would follow to the ends of the earth no. anymore. I don't think you have film stars in the same way now. And I think people, when they become famous, they try and attach themselves to a franchise, don't they? And that's what gets them booked and rebooked. Well, Dwayne Johnson is the... Um, is, is, is the franchise saver yes, isn't he yeah, yeah. They, they put him in a fr- but then he can't start his own franchises yes yeah because every time he makes a film it's Baywatch or something like yeah. that where it's just like oh fuck and he produced that as well mm. and you go well you you were all over this film and it's fucking awful but uh, when you put him in a Fast and the Furious what else did he do G.I. Joe. Joe but I mean that didn't turn into a franchise but yeah he did G.I. Joe I suppose Jumanji is, is Jumanji it? yeah you just whack him in a film and all of a sudden it's I don't know. Well, Ryan Gosling is a film star. I think he's an old school film star. For me, he's someone I always watch in things, and I always I've got a man crush on. And I think he's brilliant. He can do comedy. He can do straight acting. He picks interesting roles. I mean, Blade Runner was a poison chalice to do that, mm. and he managed to put it off without it being. It's not brilliant, but it's not embarrassing. I either. thought yeah. Blade Runner was amazing, and I thought he was incredible. In it. I love, I love Ryan. I think Ryan Gosling is often very good. He's also, you know, La La Land is he's he's great, and and um, uh, what's the, the other nice guy? Crazy stupid love. He's good in. Oh uh, yeah, nice guys was a great. He's funny and nice guy. Nice he's a really funny bit. He was yeah. in the toilet, and when um, what's his name? Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe comes in, and he's sort of doing this sort of slapstick bit with the with the toilet door whilst he's sitting in the toilet. Yes, I thought that's so hard. Yeah. to yeah. do something like Michael Crawford would do yes. you know and I thought you've pulled off a really difficult slapstick thing that gen- and it's generally made me laugh out loud and you're a straight actor but I, I really went to see I, I went him. to see Nice Guys because of Shane Black and I went to see Blade Runner because it's Blade Runner I didn't go to see Ryan Gosling you know I'd say some well we've done this before but I'd say Denzel Washington is kind of like the guy at the moment if he makes a film I won't necessarily go to the cinema to see it but I'll go I'm definitely going to watch whatever that is because he's I think he makes good films mm. um, uh, yeah I think you're right I think other people like that are kind of nostalgic aren't they you have like like when Kurt Russell's in the Tarantino movie Hateful Eight or something you go oh I love that Kurt Russell's in a movie but that's nostalgic it's because you like Kurt Russell when you're a kid I still it's like Kurt that. Russell me too Bone Tomahawk is a genuine I mean oh yeah it really the was the fact yeah. that he's still making cool films but no, he's but always mean, like, been a B movie actor yeah really. but he's I mean he's not a current era actor and you'd go and see those films because you have nostalgia for Kurt Russell Paul right? Rudd is a great is a great kind of screen person actor why um, I think he's really likable and I think he's funny and I think I mean but I just I don't want to see Ant-Man Paul Rudd sort of jumped the shark for me because I think he realises he's likable I think about five years ago Paul Rudd realised he was likable and something I, 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 when I watch him I think you know you're doing the Paul Rudd thing now sure right he's pissed me off right. you've, out, you've overrudded yourself right <laughs> what's the term for it there should be a new term yeah I think I know what you mean, though. I think some people are like that. It's almost like they become self-aware of what the thing is people like about them. I think probably that turning point for Paul Rudd was when uh, he did season nine of Friends and he was the best thing in it. And then in season ten, he got all but written out. He was like in a fraction. He was in like three episodes and he just popped up to say hello. And he didn't even have any jokes. In the ninth season, he was so good. And when they wrote him out, he must have gone, do you know what? I'm better than all six of them. <laughs> and then that was the turning point. And it's a, he has gone on. And who, oh, my other favourite film star, who I think I always watch in things, is Hugh Grant. Oh, I love oh, him. I love absolutely. Him. Yeah, 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 absolutely yeah, 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 love yeah, yeah. him. 
And I think Paddington, <laughs> to, uh, in Paddington 2, he should have got nominated for an Oscar. I think it's one of the greatest performances of recent I think years. that thing, that light comedy thing he does, is really hard. And it looks, like, effortless. And it, but I think that's he's got that thing. Again, I guess like someone like Roger Moore has, he's got that thing where he's slightly embarrassed about being an actor. And yet he's really good. So he always plays down. He's always like, well, I'm rubbish. I'm just someone who turns up. Have you seen there's an interview on, on the internet on GQ or something of him talking about his seminal films? And he's so honest about him saying, yeah, I went into this after I did Four Rings and a Funeral and um, I thought I'd do something different but I ended up doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he says about three films, I can't remember what they were, but he's so just uh, uh, quite derisory about his own performance and it's really refreshing to yeah. watch. He seems yeah, yeah, really yeah. down to But earth. I also think that he does it and you, and you laugh about it, but then you go, but actually, that's really hard. Like, that, that four weddings and a funeral type thing, to, to be like a really likeable romantic lead and be funny and be able to do jokes is really hard. But you just got, what happens? You get in the studio system, you get booked, and then everyone just goes, that's that. Americans love it. So yeah. they want the same in Notting Hill or they want all this, and that's yeah. what you're getting paid but to I do. I don't think that he's. Uh, he's when you watch something like I mean we have definitely talked about your grand before but I think that when you look at like nine months and uh, Mickey Blue Eyes the film around him is the problem mm. like, yeah, nine, yeah. Nine, but he I mean nine months is nine months is terrible I shit. quite like Mickey Blue Eyes yeah Mickey Blue <laughs> that's my favourite my fa- we've got to play a song yeah um, this is your favourite song what is it oh I just picked it because well, I thought we were going to talk about Watership Down we will <laughs> Club on Fubar Radio, and we're back. Uh, Art Garfunkel <laughs> on Fubar Radio. Art Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Watership Down, I love it. It's terrifying. It's it, brilliant. I, mean, I saw it when it was shown on Channel Five recently. Loads of parents start tweeting in saying it's inappropriate to uh, show this film because of the violence of um, General Wound uh, when he literally rips some rabbits' mm. faces off. But, you know, it's, it's, the book is brilliant. And this is one of the uh, few animations that is equal to the book. And the, and the voiceovers, and the, the voice actors in this are absolutely brilliant. You've got oh, uh, Ralph Richardson, the main narrator. You've got uh, Richard Bryce, Bryce, Roy Kinnear. You've got John Hurt. John Hurt. It's, it's absolutely perfect. You won't ever beat, get cast I remember, that good at doing voice work and film. I remember seeing it around my aunt's house and she put it on as a kind of kid's film and then left. And I remember going, and being terrified watching it going is this for kids and it just starts with a rabbit going oh the fields are bleeding and you go what <laughs> like the concepts in it it's like it's blood on there and you just see all these like weird sort of and the bit at the start where it has the weird the abstract start. yeah the, the start's and, brilliant like Native American yeah. uh, cave drawings yes and it's been ripped off I saw another program one. they've actually ripped off the start of Warship Down having this weird sort of you know he said sort of cave drawings like um, of all the rabbits and the animals and how the rabbit came into being exi- in existence but some of the, the animation's great like all those weird bits when um, uh, Five is imagining of the 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 warren being filled in like you said yeah. and you've got the screaming rabbits really horrific sort of <laughs> <laughs> so the fields are really traumatic and you just see all moments. these bodies twisting and writhing these yeah. dead rabbit bodies and that's five minutes in what the fuck am I it's watching it's just like they've got like the god character going and if they catch you they'll kill you 
and he just did absolutely horrific. Have you ever seen Ring of Brightwater? Oh, I know what you mean. I don't know if I've seen it, actually. That was a film about a kid that makes friends with an otter. Sounds and, lovely. And uh, at the end, uh, a poach comes along and uh, murders the otter with a shovel. <laughs> right, what you see, what, with a smash over his head? Sm- beats it to death with a shovel. <laughs> like, smashes it to death with a shovel. And you just think, and that was a fucking kids' film. <laughs> yeah, that's just you just think, fucking hell. It's really good that kids are subjected to these um, yeah. traumas early on. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the problem. It's a snowflake generation. Then <laughs> watch Warship Down enough. Watch that and what is it called? Otter, Otter Shovel film. Uh, <laughs> Ring of Brightwater. What is it called, Ring of Brightwater? Why? I think um, there's some sort of ring uh, in um, some dazzling water if they'd have called it the otter massacre that would have got more <laughs> would have got more um, views yeah. <laughs> it's for kids huh? kids like violence and stuff I mean we used to read Grimm's fairy tales and they're all horrifically violent I mean, people getting their arms chopped off and heads chopped off yeah and but really, like really 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 but they're cautionary tales aren't they they're kind of like uh, if you um, if you steer off the path then you'll get eaten by a wolf right that's the that's the, that's the lesson there in Ring of Brightwater it's basically don't make friends with an otter. <laughs> It'll end in tears. It's all, it's all going to end in tears. Don't be a rabbit. Do otters bite people's fingers off? What was it on the b- bit Terry Nutkin's finger off? <laughs> was that a ferret? <laughs> it was a ferret. But an otter's the same sort of family, same isn't thing. it? Same thing. Stoat, otter. The ferret is ferret. a... Otters are water well, ferret, that's why, basically, That's it? why it's best to hit them with shovels, just in case it might be an animal that might bite your finger. Yeah, he's could have grown Nutkins. up that kid. It was Terry Nutkins with a shovel at the end of Ring of Brightwater. Look at, look at what this prick did to me. <laughs> that's like a weird Cluedo game. It wasn't scripted. <laughs> <laughs> Terry wasn't. Nutkins with a shovel in it some water. It wasn't scripted. He just walked past the filming and uh, he looked over the fence see what they were up to saw the otter he had a flashback and he went over and said looks like a fucking ferret you cunt and he smashed it to death with a fucking shovel it how was, many uh, times did Terry he... Nutkins though that's him he was unpredictable <laughs> did he hit the otter how many times did he hit it in the film uh, I can't remember I was, I was like I was like six seven months old when I we've got four when minutes I went, left we've got four minutes left how do we keep doing this um yeah yeah. Uh, well, what, what do you do in four minutes? What can you do? We've Talk got the about game. The best, animal, the best animal deaths. Let's play the game. Best animal death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll play the game. Uh, do you want to play the game? Should we play the game? We'll play the game. Should we play a game? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is a game where you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person previous. You start off with Robbie Williams. Is Bob Hoskins better or worse than Robbie Williams? Of course, everyone is better than Robbie Williams. Yeah, correct. <laughs> is Daffy Duck better or worse than Bob Hoskins? Worse. Better. Da- no, better. Daffy Duck's a prick. <laughs> is Wiley Coyote better or worse than Daffy Duck? Wiley Coyote's better. Yeah. He's better. Is Roadrunner better or worse than Wiley Coyote? Worse. 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 Yeah. He's terrible. Um, is Adam Woodjat, Ian Beale in EastEnders, better or worse than Roadrunner? <laughs> I think he's worse. It's the same. You say better. He's the yeah. same. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> the same character. Been... Um, he's better, better than Roadrunner. Is Gene Hackman better or worse than Adam Woodjat? Of course he's better. <laughs> he is better. Oh. Um, is Madonna better or worse than Gene Hackman? She's she's worse and she's getting worse by the second. <laughs> she is worse. Is Jennifer Aniston better or worse than Madonna? That's a tough one. They've both made films with Paul Rudd, haven't they? I'd say just slightly worse. I think she's worse than Madonna. Jennifer Aniston is worse than Madonna? Yeah, look yeah. at Madonna's history of work. 
<laughs> sure, okay, that's what I'm forgetting Fox. to do. Is Michael J. Fox better or worse than Jennifer <laughs> Aniston? Of course, this is really easy. Of course, Jennifer Aniston needs two names He's better. as well. Better. That's it. That's a fun. That's a good game, eh? <laughs> I mean, this is a very unfocused one. We've got six minutes. Yeah, you got six. You got six. You got six points. Six points. Um, this is Roger Moore's uh, story. Is uh, was that uh, when he was making the Wild Geese? Mm. He was with what was it? It was Richard Burton, Richard Harris, and uh, Roger Moore. Yes. wasn't it? And uh, uh, Roger Moore was just like, "Well, I'm happy not talking at all." <laughs> so he would give all of his lines to Richard Burton, and he was, "I'm just happy to be here." <laughs> He's and been so, paid. He just doesn't so, have to do the work. So you watch the Wild Geese. It's it's often three of in the shot and Richard Burton and Richard Harris are having an argument with each other and Roger Moore stood in the middle just like <laughs> looking at each of them and he's, he's giving his lines away because he was just like I think people would rather watch those act we need to wrap now so thanks for coming in Marek thanks I got Thank the you. last laugh <laughs> what are we playing we're playing uh, for your eyes only Blondie oh yeah yeah cool If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.